0: So I kept on experimenting all the time because you're working with so many horses and it's just from getting smashed, getting bitten, kicked, run over, stomped. But each time I got hurt or injured, I just tried to remember what the horse was doing.
1: Did you know that animals can teach us a thing or two about how teams work and how to bring out the best in each other? This is a fascinating area of study and one where my guest today is somewhat of an expert, at least where horses and working dogs are concerned. Tom Curtin lives in Outback, Australia in the Northern Territory. He takes animals that other people find difficult to manage, gets to know their personality, and trains them to be a contributing team member. The great thing is, we can learn some of Tom's secrets through his show, The Catherine Outback Experience, which he also combines with his music that he also takes to corporate events. I'm so looking forward to finding out more. Welcome to the show, Tom. Really glad to have you.
0: No, thanks so much for having us on.
1: I'll have to let our listeners know as well, you're someone who just keeps winning awards, whether it's in music or tourism, so you must be doing a couple of things right. (laughs) But to draw similarities and lessons that link rescuing animals to developing better people relationships, I mean, when I first heard about it, I was like, what? How did this story start with your love and relationship with horses?
0: Yeah, I grew up on a farm near Kingaroy, which is about three hours northwest of Brisbane in Queensland. Mum and dad are still there on the farm. I've got four other brothers. We've always had a fair few wild horses, about 70 or 80 horses on the place and about a few thousand acres there. They had beef cattle and peanuts and corn and things like that were growing every year. But ever since I was a little kid, I just always found myself outside in the chook pen, rounding up the ducks with a few of dad's dogs or with the horses. I was always fascinated by them. And about the age of 10, I just really wanted to learn how to train them more and break them in or start them under saddle first. And so my dad was really good. like He knew a fair bit about horses, but he wasn't really a horseman. He could catch one and ride one. And we'd often go to pony club, but we'd have to ride about 12K to pony club every second Sunday because we didn't have a truck and then we'd compete all day, then ride home again alongside the main road. So it was really good. But yeah, about grade 10, I went to the local fella on my school holidays, uh, a real old bloke called Hurley Toomey. And I went there for three weeks, took my own horse, and he showed me how to start it under saddle and a fair few tricks there to give its first ride and things like that. So it all sort of began there and kept on evolving.
1: Is there a certain satisfaction that you get when you break a horse in?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think like as a kid, even back then, we were taught to lasso the horses. It's a very old school style. So they'd, they'd lasso them, they'd put hobbles on all four feet to restrict the horse's feet movement. The horse got a fright, it couldn't really run away, it just trip over and fall over. And then what would happen was the ears of the horse would go out to the side and they've mentally just shut down. And you thought you're having a win, the horse was getting quieter, but actually it wasn't really absorbing the lesson. And so over the years... I was doing three or four horses a day and it was okay, but I really wanted to go contract horse breaking to make more money. So I had to keep researching and experimenting so that I could increase the horse number I was training each day. So I went from three or four horses to 14 horses just by using a different method, really observing the animal behaviour to fast track the process.
1: That's amazing. But, I mean, how did you even work that out to realise that the position of a horse's ears, you know, meant something completely different to what everyone else believed.
0: Yeah, well, I think I found out that up in the Northern Territory there was a station called Mount Sanford Station and they had about 400 horses there and they broke in and trained a lot of horses for other cattle stations. So I thought if I could get to that station and get myself in there, I'd be able to help learn. So I went up there and I had to work in the stock camp mustering cattle all day Every day, sleeping in a swag, every night under the stars. And I loved it. I developed my songwriting and learning to play the guitar out doing that. And then I got moved in after a year or two into the actual homestead to help break in and train horses with another fella. And he was still very old school, but eventually he sort of left. And then I got to run the show there and able to do my own style. So I kept on experimenting all the time because you're working with so many horses, 150 horses coming through every year. So they all had different personalities and it's just from getting smashed, getting bitten, kicked, run over, stomped, bucked off, bolting horses. So I'm very lucky to be here to be honest because I've been through the mill but each time I got hurt or injured or bucked off I just tried to remember what the horse was doing. Did it have its head high? Was there any wrinkles above the nostril on the the nose of the horse to tell me how cranky it was? What were the ears doing? And, And each time it's like a jigsaw puzzle trying to piece it all together and I'm still trying to piece it together but I think that's just half the challenge.
1: I think that's amazing but that sounds like it was an awfully
0: painful job. Yeah well it's quite nerve-wracking because you get these horses some are five six seven year old and normally you you break the horse in when they're about two year old they've really got a fresh mind but if they've been out underneath a tree for five or six years they've been doing their own thing for so many years and you try to come in and and change that mindset and say, hey, mate, now you've got to do this. Depending on their genetics and their personality, it can take a bit of time and you lose a bit of sleep overnight, I remember, because you're worried about getting on the horse the next day and surviving. So it was pretty scary.
1: Wow. But the only reason why these horses are coming to you at a later age is because other people didn't want them. Is that right? They were just difficult?
0: Yeah. I get a lot of troubled horses that people are having trouble with that have been started, but have a few vices. So I'm no guru. I'm still learning all the time. So it's just a very humbling trade and experience, I think, every day. It just keeps your feet very well grounded.
1: And is it true that you were hitchhiking when your wife's father first met you? I mean, how is that part of the story?
0: Yeah, well, I was actually down in southern WA over the wet season. So I had to keep working. So I went down to southern WA and to break in and train horses. And I was going pretty well with the horse side, but got in a really tight spot one day and I had to hitchhike for the first time in my life. And after about four hours of walking down the highway with a saddlebag and a clothes bag, this old guy picked me up off the side of the road and offered me a lift back to his farm. So I took him up on the offer and later that night, this girl rocked up, all done up in her office gear and it turned out to be his daughter, Annabelle. I kept in touch for about 12 months, eventually convinced her because she was a town planner in Perth, eventually convinced her to come to Catherine and help run the show up there with the horse training and the tourism, Catherine Outback Experience, and it's all gone from there.
1: So she's now your business partner, sort of?
0: Yeah, she's my wife and the (laughs) business partner. And I was just talking about it yesterday, you know, we've just sort of been on the road for about four months touring with the horses, the dogs, the music gear, musicians, baby Harry. We've got a son now called Harry is actually 16 months. And we found out Annabelle's pregnant again, so she'll be due in August. So it it is full on. Wow,
1: congratulations. Yeah,
0: ta. So we'll just keep giving it a crack and see what happens.
1: Fantastic. Would you go as far as to call yourself a horse whisperer?
0: A lot of people refer to that terminology because it's so well known, it's been marketed like that. And it is exactly what we do. But I don't know, I think I'm still going to earn my stripes. I've only trained a, a couple of thousand horses. So I reckon I've still got to do a fair few more to, to earn a bit of a badge. So, you know, I just call myself a horse trainer, but it is a great uh, mindset trying to identify each personality and rather than physically dominate the horse like they did years ago with lasso ropes and other restraints, you can really mess with the head of a horse to get fast track the process
1: a couple of thousand horses is a lot more than what most people I know have trained. Maybe I'm talking as a city girl, but you know, most of the people I know consider it a treat when they're able to ride one horse and they hope that, you know, the horse will behave itself. So you've already done way more than most people, I think. But apart from the position of the ears, what are the things you look out for that most of us miss? I mean, we just look at a horse and think, wow, she's beautiful. You know, we try to get close and pet the horse and have a ride, that's about the extent of our experience. But what sort of things do you look out for that communicate to you what a horse is feeling or wanting to do
0: or not do? Yeah, that's right. I suppose the first thing is the ears. I've got a little round yard. It's probably about 18 metres diameter. So out in the wild, have got a hierarchy system. The dominant horse, usually the stallion if they're right out in a big mob, and then it falls under them right down to a little foal. So the horses communicate towards each other with their ears, okay? So they can communicate uh, with another horse at least 10 metres away just by the angle of its ears. And so when that horse comes into the round yard, then I stand in the middle of the round yard and I pretend to be the stallion, the most dominant one, and I chase that horse around, earn respect. And so I'm just pretending because out in the wild if it misbehaves, the stallion would chase that horse sometimes around and around the mob out wide for 10 laps until he's satisfied that that horse has got a bit more respect. And so as I'm chasing the horse in the round yard around, looking at the angle of its ears, the carry of its head, sometimes if they lift their head right up as they're running, the tail will come out and they're very arrogant and they may be pretty high up in the hierarchy system where they've come from, the cattle station. And so other horses, you chase them around, their head lowers right down to the ground. They start licking their lips, which tells me they've got a really great mind. They're very trainable and pliable to work with, so they've got a great demeanor. Sometimes you'll see the white of their eyes, which means they're really worried. Sometimes you'll see the redness in the lower part of the eyeball, which tells me how angry they're getting. Wrinkles above the nostril tell you also it's like a thermostat, tell you how cranky, There's like a frown. Sometimes they can bare their teeth, The tail. They lift if they jam it in behind between the back legs, but also it can sometimes they can launch themselves at you. so if you're chasing a horse around, it's giving you all these signals. You've got to be very careful because the horse can then try to chase you out of the round yard because they think they're the dominant one in the relationship. I've been, been knocked down and turkey traveled and bitten and kicked and the hair stands up on the back of your neck. You've been chased out of the yard a few times. You've got to get back in there and stamp your authority and chase that other horse around. So it's pretty full on, but it's pretty complex with all the mind game strategies.
1: Wow. And I think this will carry on to mind games in the corporate room a little bit later on as well, which we can discuss. But it's like you're a horse doctor. You're looking at you know what color their eyes are, et cetera. But quick question about what you might do in an emergency with a horse. If you sense that the horse is upset or angry, how do you calm a horse?
0: Well, you just give it time out. So horses love standing underneath a tree all day. If I see the mannerisms or the body posture of the horse as being very confrontational or very angry, then I just ask it a little bit and then I give it 10 seconds off. Then I'll ask that horse again to do a little bit more and then I give it time out again. Because if you ask a horse like that to do too much, it's like a kid trying to do algebra and never getting the right <laughs> answer. Oh, how I, how long got I sit here and do this for? There's no light at the end of the tunnel. So I think if you can just take it in small steps and then the horse goes, oh, he puts the pressure on and then he releases the pressure and so then I can get a bit of chill out time and then he puts the pressure on and each time you gradually increase the pressure so that eventually instead of just taking three steps then he gets time out, he's actually doing 20 steps then he gets his time out. So it's very much a pressure and release and that pressure varies on different personalities and temperaments.
1: Okay, but I guess in an emergency, if a horse is actually chasing you, you just run as fast as you can and hope that the horse doesn't outrun you, which
0: might be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, so in the round yard, definitely, if the horse is coming at you, I'd definitely put on a front and try to block the horse and stand my ground and step around it. Oh, really? You don't run? Well, not all the time, because if you run, generally speaking, like if you're at home and this happens, you get out of the yard as fast as you can, but... If I'm training a horse, again, it's a power play. So if I run and get out of there, that horse just had a win. And he goes, beauty, if I do that again, if he's annoying me, I'm going to run at him and it's just his confidence is boosting. So if I can just stand my ground with a plastic bag on the end of a stick and wave the heck out of that and half scare him, then I've had a bit of a win. And then he goes, oh, hang on a second, who's the boss here? And they sort of reassess each other. So definitely if I'm doing it, I try to stand my ground and – but. When I'm standing in my ground, I'm still analysing the heck out of where his feet are, if he's going to rear up on his back legs and try to come up with his front feet at me or whether he's going to try to bite me or whether he's going to run at me then spin around and use both back feet to kick my head off. You've got to be ready to position yourself out of the way. So you can step around him like a charging ball, but people at home, this you know, you just get out of the yard and call someone else.
1: So much danger, and you said yourself it kind of almost cost you your life why do you choose to do this
0: um yeah it's a good question I think I love the challenge of trying to get the best out of each horse and I suppose with my staff coming through a lot of them aren't world-class riders some have never even ridden a horse before they come to me but I can see they're that passionate about horses and so I think it's a great buzz to be able to try to pass a bit of my knowledge on to these other guys that are coming through the ranks and build their confidence. And I think if I can help others out with all their troubled horses and it's definitely a passion of mine working with horses all the time. It's a great vibe when you're riding a young horse down the road and it's come in really wild off a cattle truck 10 days later, you're riding it down the road into the wind. It's a pretty cool feeling to have that connection. Then to see other people from a cattle station come in a few weeks later and ride all these horses you've darted, 10 or 12 horses, all different people riding them with their different personalities, that is a really ultimate buzz.
1: You train working dogs as well. Are they a lot more straightforward to understand? Because most dog owners think they understand their dogs pretty well.
0: Yeah, dogs are pretty good. I think the ones I get are still cheap dogs people don't want or get along with. They say they're useless or they've had a lot of trouble with them, dogs that are scared or don't want to try because to, I train a lot to work livestock so that they can send a dog one or two kilometres back into a paddock and they find the livestock out there and they bring all the livestock back to the yard so you don't have to physically go out there and muscle it yourself. And so dogs are very smart, I suppose, Yeah, some dogs, if they're cornered and pushed too hard, will try to retaliate and try to bite you, but the majority are just scared. And so, again, still learning, but it's a great time out from horses, but it's still a great connection to get a a dog and build that trust. The dog is exactly like a, a staff member. If you can bond with the staff member or your dog and not really try to chastise them, I just find for me it works if I can really build the confidence. And when I first started... 20 years ago up here. Back then, I couldn't really afford anyone. And so we had backpackers coming through, and I'd give them high fives. You know, every time they did a job right, I'd give them a high five and boost their confidence. And it was just amazing to see their confidence grow. And if they messed up, you know, I had a fella mowing my lawn. He was from England, had a tiny backyard. He came over here on the ride on Mower to make you mow my lawn for me. And he said, Yeah, no worries. And he just went up and back and left these big strips of grass in between. I thought it was a joke. I said, how's it going, mate? He goes, yeah, all done, boss. I said, but what about that tall grass, those strips you missed? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, we're supposed to have it all neat and tidy so there's no strips of grass. He went, oh, oh really? I thought you just had to go up and back and get the majority of it down. You know, He had no idea. and So it was quite funny, but you could have really got up him and really told him off. And said, hey, mate, this is how we do it over here in Australia. And uh, we made a bit of a joke about it. And then the next time someone came in, I said, hey, that bloke over there just commented how good the lawn looked. Oh, I did. And it just boosted his confidence. So the next time he did the lawn, it was just immaculate. And so I think if you focus on the positives, whether it be a horse or a dog or a staff member to get the most out of them, you still have to be firm and have the, the guidelines. But I just find that I just get more out of people or the dogs if I'm kinder.
1: I'm already seeing how the lessons are being translated to working environments. So I'm just wondering what people can expect when they come to the Catherine Outback experience. I mean, you're bringing all your knowledge about your working with horses. What can they expect?
0: When we're based in Catherine there, we do like half an hour of a young horse working it. So it could be the first time that horse has run into the round yard and ever been touched. It could be the second time we've caught the horse or put the saddle on or it could be the fourth time when we're trying to ride the horse.
1: So this is watching how you break a horse in for the very first time. Yeah, Is that right?
0: And so as I'm running the horse around then, I'm commentating and talking about the ears and the body language and often horse people have come there and I can read their body language from where I'm standing and they've got crossed arms and go, this is, oh, this is, you know, So overdone or whatever, but I'm preempting what the horse is going to do. So sometimes I say, listen, this horse will probably try to kick me with the back foot soon because this is what's happening. And sure enough, bang, it kicks. I have a bag with a stick on it, create energy to drive the horse around the yard. And sometimes the horse will just kick that out of my hand, you know. So first part of the show is all talking about the young horse. And then we've got some other horses. We're working at Liberty. So we've got three or four horses with no halters or bridles on them. And, like, instead of telling a dog to sit, I tell the horse to lie down just on a verbal cue. And we're still trialing all this, but I believe the horses are that smart that at the moment you can say lie down to a horse 20 meters away and the horse will lie down. And so that's amazing. Yeah. So the whole show is evolving all the time. So we're just pushing the boundaries. And so it doesn't always go to plan when we're trying to train them on the goats, but it's quite amusing because people can see how keen the young dogs are. They're not doing what they're told. And so you mix all that up, throw a few songs in there as well. I don't really know what's going to happen, and I think that's the beauty of it. It's not a polished show. It's, we just fly by the seat of our pants.
1: And a huge element of risk in each show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is. It is risk. The staff are even going, what's Tom doing now? We haven't even rehearsed this or he hasn't even asked this. But I've just called out on the microphone, oh, let's try this today. And so totally the staff gets spun out because they're not ready for it either. But I'm just very passionate about trying to show what really goes on. It doesn't always go to plan when you're training a horse or a dog. But even when it goes pear-shaped, it's how we recover when it all hits the fan. And uh, you always got to keep a cool head and not let that frustration out, because all the dogs have been from troubled backgrounds, horses can get scared very easily. I think if you just keep a cool lid, then everything will work out somehow.
1: I don't want to give too much away, but I think in one of the highlights of your show, in a show of trust, ultimate trust, you actually stand on a horse and perform a song.
0: Yeah, that's right. The whole show sort of evolved from people coming through, travellers, visitors... And then I say, ah, Sam, any questions? And one bloke said, well, can you stand up on your horse and sing a song? I said, mate, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. He said, I'll I'll give you a few beers. And I was getting low on a few (laughs) beers. So I said, right, I'll give it a crack. And so he said, no, well, if you stand up, it shows how much trust you can get out of that animal. And so I said, oh, I'm scared of heights. But I said, right, I will give it a crack. And so he said, right, that was awesome. Now you've got to kick that in your show. And then he said, well, can you ride around on your horse playing a song. So it's all been developed like that. And I think if you can keep the true essence of it, it's all based on trust. So it's like building a house. If you don't have the right foundation, eventually the house is going to fall down. So I think it all comes back to those beginning processes of building your trust with your animals, with your staff. And if they don't have your respect, you don't really have much going forward.
1: What lessons do you normally bring home for corporate events? We've sort of brushed on a few themes and ideas a little bit earlier on, but when you have an event planner who has asked you to come and a company has hired you to inspire their employees, their staff, and they're hoping that maybe they can learn something about teamwork or you know, how to develop better as an employee or work better together, are there specific lessons that you can draw from animals?
0: Yeah, every event's a little bit different. So if we look at the working dogs, for instance, we might have 10 dogs sitting out in the arena and we've got three goats. As soon as you've got the three goats, it's like a kid in a lolly shop. All they want to do is get to the lollies or the goat because that's their instinct coming through. And all these 10 dogs have got different personalities. Some dogs, they just kick back and are very patient Other dogs are like so eager to get there. They're not listening. They're trying to run their own show. Some are workaholics. Some just want to do the whole thing themselves and they're going, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And, And so I think when we do this exercise and we've got to move these goats around the arena, it's all about trying to get the best out of their personalities and get the job completed. But at the same time, just because there's a dog that loves working way out wide and does everything right, I still just don't want to leave that dog out there. That dog's still got to grow and develop in other areas. So often I tell this dog loves working way out wide off the goats. It doesn't really like coming in onto the goats because it's too much pressure. But today I want to take it out of its comfort zone and bring it up in close to the goats and keep developing it personally so that one day when there's no other dogs around, it might still have to do this job on a farm somewhere. And it's pretty much the same if you had a team of employees. You've got some pretty strong-minded people. You've got really hard-working people. You've got the people that need a lot of motivation, a lot of inspiration to get them going every day. And then some that will just do the bare necessities and then will be very reluctant when they're pushed or made to do something else. So I think from training dogs' perspective, If you can identify each personality of your staff member and then work out what their abilities are, what they love doing naturally, just comes to them naturally with a bit of a push they can do, or if you really inspire the heck out of what else can (laughs) they achieve and they don't even realise they can actually achieve it. So I think whether I'm working a horse, a dog or my staff, it's just so challenging and fulfilling Instead of just working the dog where it should be, what if we mix it up a bit, try this and try that, and then you could actually get your team, or your staff members cranking instead of them all just sitting in first gear, you could have them cranking in overdrive and get be so more efficient, get so much more done. So that's just one example that we work on.
1: So, seeing as you have staff under you, do you kind of see it as an, a bit of an experiment, the lessons that you? are learning from managing your animals, the same principles you apply to your own staff? Do you see the same outcomes? Because, you know, humans are a little bit more complex sometimes.
0: Yeah, totally. They don't know it, but I train the heck out of them every day. It's great fun, <laughs> you know. So when they come down, they start at 7 o'clock most days, and so I can read their body posture as they're coming down to the... I'm already down. I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and so I'm start at 3.30, and I let them start at 7, I've got a fair bit of work done before. So as they're walking down, I can see them for about 100 metres and I can read their body posture as they're walking down because I've analysed the heck out of their personalities. And so then pretty much you could say, how are you going today, mate? And just the tone of their voice, you know. I often set it up. Sometimes I don't say g'day, pretend I haven't seen them and to see if they want to say g'day first, you know. So I'm just trying to read them, analyse it, And then go, okay, how much have I got to motivate these guys today? And just there's a lot of hard work or jobs that got to be done, but then I can't just use them as slaves. I've got to grab one. Oh, do you want to come in here for a sec and have a look at this horse? What about if we just, even if it doesn't need anything, but if I can just grab that person that's a little bit down and go, hey, what about if I just change her mindset right from the get-go, come in here for a second and we'll chase this horse around just have a look at this. And then straight away, whatever she's been thinking about is bang is out the window. She's on to this, working on this job. And then I step out, gives her a bit of confidence to do by herself. It might only be two minutes, and then you go, "Great work, mate. That's awesome." So are you right to feed those horses there, and da 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 da. Yep, no worries. And so out she goes. She doesn't realise it, but she's already walking a lot higher, a lot straighter than when she came in. And I'm still learning as we go. But I think if we can read the body posture of our staff like the horses or the dogs, and then we can use different strategies to uplift or motivate or even just listen just to get the best out of them. We've got them right or their mindset right, then we can achieve so much more, if that makes sense.
1: That's, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people can learn from that. Uh, Not something that we think about every day.
0: Yeah, well, I think these days with technology, everyone's on their phones and your whole mindset can change pretty quick. If you saw something on Facebook or keeping up with the Joneses or someone might have made a comment about something or a photo of yours on, you know what I mean? So very, it can get very personal and I've seen it. Everyone's been cracking up until lunchtime, but after lunch, some of them come out and have just been a bit sluggish or what's going Hey man, what's going on? And I'm scratching my head trying to and later I found out that you had a bit of, um, saw something on social media and it is pretty complex and you don't always just get it right like that. But I just think if people are aware or the bosses are aware of how people are feeling, what they could have gone through, and even just be an ear or even the colleagues a bit more in tune with other people's body language and be a, a, an ear to, for a listen or something like that, I just think that the team environment could just really click into gear and become more efficient instead of everyone just sort of sitting. Because sometimes I do, everyone just sits back and just does enough to get by and watching their clock ready to go, but I'm going, man, if I can inspire my team enough or motivate them enough, then they won't be watching the time. They'll be trying to get the job done and bang, 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 and even working overtime, not realising they've gone overtime because they've felt so passionate about delivering a product.
1: Yeah, I don't think even many bosses think about it. I mean, there is a saying that people don't leave their jobs, they leave their bosses. So it is just so beneficial for employers, for leaders in organizations to just be that little bit more aware of what's going on in the lives of their colleagues and their staff. And that might just make a significant difference just in terms of how everyone relates to each other and what people reveal to each other and how you work together. So yeah, some really interesting concepts. When you take your show, because you've grown your show now. There's this showman side of you, there's this educator side of you, and then there's this entrepreneurial side of you. I mean, your business didn't just grow by itself. The Outback is pretty isolated. What decisions did you make to grow the business side of your show, and did you get any help And what was that journey like? Because that's very intentional.
0: When I first started, like social media 10 years ago wasn't that big. And so I didn't know much about Facebook ads or the marketing procedure of all the social media. And so really I thought, well, let's just knuckle down and work one-on-one. So when I first opened the show eight years ago, I suppose, you know, no one came to the first show and then, which felt pretty good. And no then, one, did you say? Yeah, no one came. And then I was running three shows, three afternoons a week. I'd run the show. I was still breaking and training horses, but three afternoons I'd I'd open the show and I put signs up out of town a bit, advertising Catherine Outback experience. But then the council asked me to um, take them down because they weren't allowed any signs. So no worries, I'll get around to it. And it took me another week to get there. And then I just took them out another 100K each way to try to get around that. But then they still said, no, you've got to still take them down. So, And then I'd walk the caravan parks with my brochures every lunchtime. There's about six caravan parks in Catherine. So I used to walk handing out brochures trying to spread the word and one person would come or a couple would come a grey nomad traveling around would come and i just run the show an hour and a half for those two people or one person often no one but because it wasn't really a polished show it was more like a training exercise and so then i could skip stuff out or add stuff in if people are more interested in the dog side i'd i'd do more on the dog training and so i'd still train the dogs even if there was one person there so it worked out pretty good. It still paid off because those one or two people went and told other people. And I kept on asking them where they found out about us. And often it was word of mouth. And still it's been a really good thing up there. Caravan coming through and they camp along the roads and they catch up with other people in their camps before they get to Catherine. So they know roughly what's ahead and things like that. So that work still worked pretty good. I knew the GAN train was coming through twice a week. So I thought, man, if I could just get my foot in the door there and try to get some people. So I kept emailing and did a bit of proposal for them. And it took about three years. And eventually we got them on board. And it's been amazing. It's Probably the turning point, really, getting the GAN train once it came on. Then we got AAT Kings buses and we started to get school camps that would camp on our place and we'd do a barbecue for them and then they'd go off and see the Catherine Gorge and stay a couple of nights and keep travelling through. So once we had those bigger numbers coming through, instead of just being relying on the grey nomads, we had different markets, which then we could start to employ a few other people to help out with the shows because when we first started, there was only a handful of people. I had no shade structures. The first few shows, people were actually standing around this round yard in the sun watching me because basically I had no money at all. We had a massive mortgage. I was trying to break in these horses and keep my head above level and try and dabbling in this tourism as well. So it was just pretty hard going. But all the money we did get, or most of it, we then just put back into the business. So better chairs, a better seating area, shade sales for the people to sit under, and things like that until we could build it up enough. Two years ago, we put in a, um, I think it's 70 metres by 40 metre indoor arena, which has been a godsend because in April or October, when it gets really hot and humid, a lot of the oldies on the Gann train were actually fainting. So we had to run around, yeah, lollies and keep the blood sugar levels up. So now it's amazing because we insulated it it so cool under there. People just sit there and they can see the whole thing and we bring around icy poles and drinks for them and we're just learning more and more about social media and marketing and the ads and just a whole different headspace coming from a busted-up horse trainer to now looking into that space of really marketing my music, the horse and dog show, and it's attracting families as well. It's a really cool concept which is trying to cover a wider reach, I suppose. It's also creating interest now for them to pack up their vans or caravans and get up to Catherine to see the other side of the show as well.
1: So if you could define or if you could identify a game changer for you, what advice would you give yourself 20 years ago? What would that be? I think
0: it would have to be don't be shy. A lot of country boys are the same and country girls living out in the sticks A lot of the time, I was just on a cattle station from daylight till dark. I'd work 10 or 14 horses by myself in a round yard and eventually ride them out by myself. There was no one else around. And I did that full on for 10 years. So going from there and then starting a tourism business up and going, hey, come to my show. I really know what I'm talking about. It's a really big thing like for so long and I still do it today. I get... My wife, Annabelle, always up me for not pushing it enough because I'm a lot more reserved and she accuses me of being too humble and just lying low and going under the carpet and not spruiking what we do or how good it is because you don't want to be that guy that is totally up himself and says, hey, look at me, look at me. I think there's a fine line and I think these days, You've got to promote yourself without going where you are too cocky or really on yourself. But at the same time, if you've got a good product, you've got to back yourself. A lot of mates, when I first started, I said, Tom, no one's going to come and watch you train horses and watch dogs jump on drums. Now I've got these 44-gallon drums that I teach the dog to jump on, sit and stay. So when they leave me, they go to a farm, they can jump on the back of a farm you sit and stay. And they said, no one's... They just laughed at me. A lot of a lot of my mates, a lot of fellas said, just stick to your horse training. You good at that? Just do that. And I said, yeah, but what if... My gut feeling's telling me they will. So what if they do come? And so in that respect, I backed myself. I had my time again, would have got someone into social media with the video cameras and got it all visual to show people exactly what we we're doing and usually the video doesn't lie so people can see with their own eyes on social media what interactions going on and this year we did it with touring around with all the families of people turning up six seven eight hundred people coming to shows in little towns getting all the kids out helping to train dogs and, and do all these bow races and up singing and dancing with parents and We try to capture the true essence of what goes on in the shows on the road to then help market future shows. So I think there's so much if I could learn more about marketing, and I try to every day, but if I had my time back again, I'd just get that marketing thing going.
1: But it's amazing how far you've come. I mean, if you're talking about bringing the outback dust into a convention center now in the city, that's quite a sight. So that's quite interesting. But also, I did not know how much emotion horses can evoke out of people. I mean, you've had guests from all over the world. How have you seen people react to the horses and to the lessons that you're teaching?
0: Oh, it's been amazing. I know how much they move me. But then when people come to the shows, one lady was about 87. She came up on a walking frame after the show and said, Tom, is there any chance I could just pat one of your horses. And I said, yeah, no worries. So I went and caught one and brought it over. And she said, it's just that all my life I've lived in Sydney and I've always dreamed about patting a real horse. And so do you mind if I just sit here for a bit and just pat? I said, mate, go for it. And she sat there for about five minutes and just started patting this horse down the forehead between the eyes, long strokes. And she had just tears just rolling down her cheeks. She said, you know, I just never thought I'd be able to Hat a real horse or be up close to it or have that smell of a horse on my hands. It was just amazing. Her family rang up when she got home because she's still raving about it and they wanted to thank us just for doing that. And that's the kicky, you know, there's all these stories about it. It's just a moving experience and the horse, they've got such a kind eye and they're so gentle once you've got all their trust. So to see that is pretty moving for us too.
1: It's been quite a few months where it's been challenging because of the pandemic and, you know, since COVID hit. I just wonder whether, you know, because you're so close to these horses and the dogs, does it impact
0: them at all? Not really. Because we've got a good crew, I think we're still conscious of, even if there's no one there or no shows on, we're training on them because they still love working. So, and because of COVID, we had no tourism. So we had to sort of pivot and we started up horse riding lessons as well as trail rides for people in Catherine and then Alice Springs and Darwin. So they were people coming there for weekends for trail rides and mentally it's really good for the horses. And then we also had to start a farm therapy program as well. So we kicked into some Indigenous kids and got them to come along and they were catching horses, painting horses, washing horses and dogs and special needs as well. So four times a week for a couple of hours each, these groups were coming along, feeding them and making a fuss of them. And so going forward with the shows, I want to keep the farm therapy going as well as the trail rides and horse lessons. So it's full on. We've been looking for more horses to supplement the team up there for this year. And the horses get rotated as well. So they're not the same horses in the show all the time. Otherwise, they just get bored. So again, each show, we're looking at the dogs and the horses and how they respond. And sometimes we don't use them. We use them somewhere else to build them up mentally, just like our staff members and just keep rotating. So to get the best out and keep that passion all there.
1: It sounds like you're managing it quite well because in the cities, you know, I've been reading about dogs having separation anxiety because with the lockdowns, the owners have been spending more time at home and then suddenly when things start opening up, these owners have to go back to work and these dogs are experiencing separation anxiety and it's a little bit traumatic for them. But what about yourself? I mean, how are you getting through the pandemic personally? Has it challenged you? Has it changed you?
0: Well, I had to go back breaking in horses last year. I had to go back breaking in 16 a month. It was full on and even a bit nerve-wracking because some of these horses are pretty wild when they come in. And so it took yeah a little bit of confidence to get back on the horse, so to speak. And I got caught out a few times. like I got bucked off and it just keeps you always thinking, always down to earth. But yeah, I think as a business mind, you can't have all your eggs in one basket. You know, if tourism goes, bang. Like it did, we had nothing. So luckily, I still kept good with for so many years doing the cattle stations, all the horses out there. So we're able to keep going on with training horses. But again, we had to think outside the box and say, okay, well, what else can we do? So that's when I started doing the the horse lessons. And it was just me at the time, one on one with these kids coming through, and the people that wanted to come to us had never been on a horse. So I had to try to get the kids' attention anywhere from a three-year-old to a 16-year-old, get their attention and keep them interested for at least half an hour, sometimes an hour. And so even that in itself, like if you're just there going, ah, sure, will be right, jump on mate and I'll lead you around. The kid's not going to come back next time because sure they got to ride a horse, but I just feel that every person that come, you've really got to enhance their experience. So by the end of it, we knew how many dogs or cats they had at home and how to make a paper airplane, all these things that we were talking about to keep their mind on the job. We were boosting their confidence because a lot of kids were terrified of getting on a horse so big and looking down. and so. But if you can, again, change their mindset and get them talking and thinking about other stuff, they're actually learning how to stand up and do an airplane, sticking their arms out to the side, pretending to be able to get the balance and not actually thinking about falling off or looking down. So I think there's a lot of things running through my head. There still is, but it's great to try to get – Or boost the confidence, whether it's a a kid riding a horse or a dog, it's a great challenge.
1: It's amazing how you're thinking of so many people. You're not just thinking of the one outcome, but you're thinking of the people that are involved and how they can get an outcome through interacting with what you're doing with the horses and with the dogs. And what I also do love about what you do is that it's connected to benefiting the rural communities and the outback where you're from. Can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Yeah well I think when I say we my wife Annabelle she's just been a pivotal moment I suppose since when she came up and has been helping with all this business side of it because she was an ex-town planner for seven years so she's been helping out with all the marketing and I'm sort of like the big sky thinker you know managing the people outside and animals but she's very much switched into the business mode and a lot of people say how do you and Annabelle get on a ride if you're working together you're married together and we were just speaking about it yesterday, how lucky we are that we get on really well and just very open about talking about things. And we did get talking about when we tour, travelling around for years on cattle stations, and they are all sometimes work for three months at a time before they get a weekend off to go to a rodeo or a camp draft or get out. And a lot of these rural towns don't get much entertainment. They've always got to travel to the big cities to get the entertainment. So I said, well, what if we take the show on the road and go to the little towns instead of the big ones and see if we can help boost morale and confidence there, let them have a night out, let them forget about their worries for a bit. So we started doing that about five years ago. We'd do about 50 shows in four months, four and a half months. And it was very daunting. Like I think that was probably the most nervous I've been in a long while, where you load up the horse truck with six what? horses, yeah, eight dogs, three goats, the music gear, and you've got to travel and hope that people are going to come out and see an Outback show as well as a concert in, in a country town. And they've never heard of Tom Curtin, and a lot of people still haven't. So to get out there and to market it all ourselves, very daunting, but somehow we covered costs just in the first tour. First coast was west coast, so we went down to Perth, and back up again. Then we did the East Coast the following year and then just been getting bigger and bigger. And now instead of 30 or 40 people coming to watch us, some towns we're getting up to a 1,000 people wow. come out and watch us. It's just amazing. And while you're there doing the show, you're talking a bit about the dogs and the horses and how we train the animals in a nice, kind manner. You also jump up on stage. You get all these kids out of the crowd and you've got to keep them occupied and, and dancing up the front. But then you're also singing a bit more of a serious song that will reach the older people kicking back at the back. And so got to be a family show and got to deliver messages on different levels, if that makes sense. So while I'm singing, I can read the body potches of the mother over here that's looking for a kid that could be out the back running around. And so if I can get all those kids that are running around out the back out in front of me dancing... And I give CD prizes away to the best dancer or the, the coolest kid or the one that's still a little bit shy. That attracts all the kids up the, the front. And then the, kid, the parents start to relax a bit because they see their kid up the front. Parents relax. You can see them start to catch up with other people. Some people haven't caught up in 20 years. And you can see them back slapping up the back and having a good old time. And for me, again, it's a buzz because it's a mental health well-being. You can see these people coming in off cattle stations and farms and They've been under enormous pressure with bushfires and drought, floods, COVID. So if I can just get there and just put on a show so they can forget their worries for a bit, catch up and rejuvenate a little, I think it's a job well done.
1: See, everything you've just said just shows why you are a master of the audience and, you know, you have such a philanthropic heart right at the centre of it, which is why what you're doing is fantastic. A couple of last questions. Are there books or resources that are your go-tos that you would recommend to people when in building a business?
0: To be honest, I haven't read too much. I've started to listen to a few audio books on business and marketing and things like that. I just can't think them off the top of my head at the moment. But as I'm training a horse, I'm listening to an audio book about click funnels and all this stuff. <laughs> it sounds, and I don't tell. It me.
1: might be Russell Brunson. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've listened to that too. I've listened to a, bit of, a fair bit of Russell. Gary Vaynerchuk is another one. And it is quite bizarre. And my mates just payment. me, they go, who? Gary who? And because a lot of the people I hang out with are all horse fellas or off cattle stations and they're not you know, sure. thinking like that. So I just said, no, a bit of country music, mate. And uh, Well, I'm
1: not a cattle person, but it's only about two years ago when I said, Gary, who? (laughs) So it's not just just those guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So it's really cool. I think of starting now to really get into it and to try to build the business ahead because in the COVID last year we had no one really coming through and I thought, man, we've got to try to set up a video or a thing about dog training and – young horses so we can all do it get a fella up here to film it all these different types of horses and then we can run classes or all over by zoom or people can check in on clip on a link so that's all coming this year hopefully so we've gone moving into that space as well to develop that side of things i think most of it is just from hard knocks and getting rejected so many times ring up Hey, mate, can I come and sing it? Who are you? Nah, man. You just, every knockback you get, you're still one closer to getting a positive answer. So say their loss. Don't worry about it, mate. Let's keep going. And yeah, I think you just put your head down, get up early and work your heart out.
1: Wow. It takes some will of steel, I think, to do that, which we all need in order to get to our goals. Is there a travel destination that you wish you could get to right now that you can't?
0: I'm working on it, but I just need a few more to step in if I've got it because I'm trying to do more events. Does that mean Tom never goes on a holiday? I don't think I've had a holiday for a while. We've got two days off today, though, but we're on laptops in Alice Springs here (laughs) doing work. (laughs) No, I mean, get on a plane, go overseas
1: to, I
0: don't know, Italy
1: or somewhere.
0: No, definitely. Definitely down the track. I got four other brothers and they said, Tom, when are you actually going to take two weeks off and do that? I've become pretty flat for the last 20 years, but definitely we're getting very, very close so I can do that and chill out. But someone asked me the other day about this and they said, but when are you? And I just find that even over Christmas we went to Annabelle's parents' place down in Perth. They've got a beef farm, so it was still great. But I just found that I was getting a bit flat because I hadn't really worked the horses or dogs. And then I went out one day and I just started working the horses (laughs) and then working the dogs just by myself. And I just came back in and I was just really recharge and revitalize and I said oh my god. I so think- you kind
1: of need to go on a holiday at another farm basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably probably no that would be good I'd, good sea change I'll do that and see how we go.
1: Fantastic now if people wanted to connect with you what's the easiest way to do that?
0: Yeah the easiest way is to send us an email at admin at katherineoutback.com.au Catherine's just spelled like the katherine the town with a k Or they could flick us a message on Facebook, Instagram, Tom Curtin, official. Or just, yeah, you can go to the website as well, tomcurtin.com.au.
1: We'll put all those things in the show notes so people have an easy way to just copy, paste or click. Thank you so much, Tom, sharing
0: your heart and your wisdom. Tom, I've had a great time speaking with you. No, that's all right. Thanks so much for having us on and good luck with it all. Sounds cool.
1: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much if you'd subscribe and rate the show. I'll be here again next week, so don't forget to join me again. Until then, I have a special treat. If you've never heard of Tom's music, here's a track just for you, with his permission. It's a duet with Luke O'Shea, which won Heritage Song of the Year, Tom sings second. The song's called Never Never Land, and I'll put the video link in the show notes. Worth watching. Falls are raging, floods are pushing through. Probe dancing in the rain while flowers start to bloom. The spinifex is waving like lizards in the sand. The crocodiles are watching while buffalo makes a stand. Well, we're all part of the dream, arranging are ancient and we're new. Storm clouds and thunder or a sky so blue with the billion stars above The horizon never ends, but we never say, never, here and never, never
0: land Ramen bulls and rodeos, cowboy hats and spurs, little kids with big smiles, ladies in their pearls, the ringers red are a slave and red dust, dust is kicking up. It's hard, it's hot, no matter what We're not giving up No, we're all part of the dream There's nothing we can't do Things get hard, we knuckle down We pull each other through Well, it's wet and dry, it's black and white It's one we make a stand We never say never Here and now